Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Night State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina, and joining me once again is Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm hanging in there, you know. Uh, I, I said this uh, when we did the, the last field hockey podcast uh, the other day. Uh, I don't hate many things. Uh, I hate daylight savings time in the fall. Uh, oh, God. I know. It's yeah. terrible. Just it's it's like I was I was driving home and I'm like thinking about, hey, this is probably going to, you know, starting to get dark, get home. And then I realize it's not even five o'clock yet. Like, what am I thinking? Right. This and that. And the other thing, like what what is going on? I, I hate it. I dislike it. Uh, and I can't wait till March. <laughs> yeah. You know what I think? I think it's time for a strongly worded letter, Joe. To somebody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I you know, I was I was uh, Googling. uh daylight saving like just to make sure it was this past weekend and something came up in my search that said like don't like daylight savings blame massachusetts and i i didn't click on it but i i'm okay with that so thanks massachusetts well you know what joe we live in new hampshire so we blame massachusetts literally for, yeah, for every, everything yes that's, right that's so it's just pretty normal <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll try to power through this one anyways, even though, uh, you know, it's uh, it looks like midnight outside while we're doing Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like it's like 1130. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you can, of course, uh, send your questions and feedback on the show to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at, at NHHSports. And the football show is available uh, every Tuesday during the season at nh-highschoolsports.com or on Spotify or Odyssey. Uh, just search for Ninth State Sports Show, and you can uh, listen to new episodes from this season. Or uh, if you want a blast from the past, go back and listen to some some other episodes. Uh, whatever you feel is uh, whatever whatever you're in the mood for, I guess. Yeah, uh, we have some we have some old episodes that I would consider classics at this point, Joe. <laughs> Absolutely, I yeah I uh, I don't I, I don't know if I can think of any off the top of my head, but if you gave me a little while, I could probably come up with some. Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, there really are. We're we're uh, between football, field hockey, and lacrosse. We're up over uh, two forty this week, I believe. Total episodes, wow. yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, well, you too. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, usually uh, or during the regular season, at this point, we were gonna we were picking a player in the team of the week. Um, but for the playoffs, uh, we've decided uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, stop doing that and just roll right into the games because we got a lot to talk about. But also because, if you remember, we were we were trying not to duplicate teams or players to try to get as many uh, as much recognition as we can out there. And kind of once you get into the playoffs, that you're you're uh, like you said to me, you know, before we started, we're cutting the teams in half every week. Right. Um, so just the pool gets a little bit smaller, and and you know, we're going to mention most of these games. All of these games, anyway. So uh, we will probably get to everybody. Uh, yeah, so, it gets hard not to get repetitive. I sure. think at, at at a point, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, congrats to everybody that we did name as a player and, and team of the week, and uh, and now I think we should just uh, let's just jump right into it. How about that? I think that's good. All right. Well, first off, uh, I want to bring up. We're not going to spend too much time on these because um, we don't have a lot of info on most of them, but. Um, the end of the season, the last couple of years, uh, Division One has not only had its uh, its first round of playoffs to open November, but they've also had uh, I don't I don't know what to officially call these. I was calling them like a, the tenth game, or I guess we could call them Week Ten games, uh, where the eight teams that didn't make the playoffs 
get paired up, and there's four extra games uh, in Division One. Um, you know, so we had that happen. It's actually really funny that the last um, I don't know if you remember last year they played those games on Friday night while there were also some playoff games going on. So I don't think any of those games got really any attention. Right. And I was saying to somebody the previous week, you know, they should move those games to Thursday night. I'll go to one if they do that. And sure enough, all those games were on Thursday night last week. And uh, I, I stuck true to my word. I went to one. I was going to say, I, I know you kept your word there, so I that's did. good. I went to, uh, yeah, I went to Merrimack to see them take on Memorial. Uh, that was one that Memorial held on for a 14-12 to 12 win in a game that um, was had a lot of defense to it. Um, offense was not uh, not the strong suit in that game, except for a few drives here and there. Uh, but yeah, Memorial got a 14-12 win in that one. Uh, Nashua South went out to win a Cunnet, got a 25 to nothing win over the Warriors. Timberlane went to Manchester Central and beat Central 21 to 14, and Concord uh, welcomed Goffstown uh, up to Memorial Field and, and got a 41 to 20 win over the Grizzlies. So those were your your four uh, Week Ten games in Division One. Yeah, and and you know I I think you could you know we talked a little bit last week about those games. It's like it's kind of a little bit like a Thanksgiving Day game where it's a little bipolar, right? It's it might be hard to get the teams kind of up and going for one more week of football, but for the most part, it's also kind of cool because it's one more week of football. Sure. And and I think especially if you're a senior. Um, you you want and love every single game that you play in, no matter what the point of it is, uh, or, or you know, whether you're playing for pride or or you know whatever. So, I'm I'm sure that most of those teams in the end were happy to go out and have one more one more go at it with the pads on. I was gonna say the the two teams that I was watching, Memorial and Merrimack, sure seemed like they wanted to be there. Um, you know, the 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 Merrimack kids were you know, cheering on from the sidelines with, with you know, their chance of, of defense and just making noise throughout the entire game. And, you know, that's afterwards, um, you know, Merrimack coach Kip Jackson kind of said the same thing that you just said to me, that, that it's kind of like having the Thanksgiving games, like you just get those. I mean, it's granted it's only a couple of days uh, rather than a couple of weeks, but it's of practice. Um, but, but you get in that practice time. And, and it's like, you know, it, it's similar to like a bowl game in college, too. I mean, I, I've heard, right. you know, college coaches say, you know, you, you know, no one else may care about the bowl game, but, you know, they do because they get all these extra practices with with their teams. Right. Um, you know, and, and who knows what you get to work on that that might help you improve along down the line, not just for that game. Yep, so, I agree. You get to send your seniors off into the sunset with an extra game and you get to work on your younger guys a little bit on things that you might be projecting for the next year. So yeah. I'm glad that they decided to do it again. I, I'm just one of those people. I think more football is good. So yeah, I, I've same here. I mean, if, if uh, I, I'm, I'm always going to be on the side of more football and, and, and going to cover more football. Yep. Um, I, I will cover football games as as long as you'll let me so <laughs> yep um so very very glad that those i was able to get to one of those games all right well we're gonna start usually we, we go through uh our talk here starting with division one and, and, and working our way to division four but since uh we've got championship games this weekend if you can believe it or not uh, yeah we're gonna start with division four who is one of those divisions that has a championship game coming up 
Uh, so we're, we're going to start there with, uh, with the D4 semis. And, um, you know, kind of, uh, I, you know, just looking at those games, I, I got to say not much of a surprise um, for, for what we were probably expecting to happen um, in those games, right? No, I think I, I, I would love to say that, uh, that, that, that's different or, or that you're wrong there, but you know, it's, it's been kind of ruled by these teams for the last couple of few seasons. So, um, yeah. Uh, and, and I think we were kind of expecting that outcome this time. Yeah. You had, uh, you had, um, number two, Summersworth getting a 28 to eight win over number three, Raymond, and then, uh, Newport getting a 35, seven win, Newport, the top seed over number four, Bishop Brady. Uh, that'll put uh, Summersworth and Newport in the championship game, uh, which will kick off at 1 o'clock on Saturday in Laconia. In the championship game for the third time in the last four years, uh, each team has won one with Newport winning in 2020, Summersworth winning last year. And honestly, the only thing that's keeping this from being a four straight years of, of this matchup is that Fall Mountain upset Newport in the semis back in 2021 and, yep. and played Summersworth in the final. Uh, so that's, um, I guess, the only thing, yeah, like I said, the only thing keeping this from being a, a four-year thing here. Um, you know, Summersworth got uh, a, a couple big offensive performances in, in their win over Raymond. Uh, you know, Tayshawn Shepard with a couple touchdowns, three, two rushing, one receiving. Had 123 yards on 21 carries and went over the thousand yard mark for the season. And then uh, Caden Bickford also huge had, game, yeah, huge, huge game. game for Caden Bickford. R- rushing touchdown, uh, also threw the touchdown to to Shepard, and then uh, ran for 162 yards on 18 carries and had an interception. Yeah, that that's a big time performance right there. That would have been, you know, again out of a of a, of a list of them, I'm sure Joe, that would have been one of our debates on a player of the week spot right there i was just gonna say did we uh i don't know i was gonna say i know we went with a summersworth kid but it, it was shepherd that that uh was a yep. player of the week earlier this year so yeah we could have could have gone but yeah definitely uh, just a huge performance there and then in the other game for newport uh, kyle ashley had a, a a pretty huge game for for the tigers as well yeah 132 yards on 18 carries um did a little little bit of work through the air too uh, two for five in the air and, and uh, a total of two touchdowns. Um, but, you know, you, you shared an interesting stat. It was the rushing yardage. Yeah. And that game is eye popping. Yeah, there were a couple games like that. But, yeah, in this one, Newport had a 305 to 24 yard advantage uh, running the ball over Brady. Uh, you know, Brady's only touchdown came in the second quarter on a pass from uh, Ian Miller to Todd Shepard. And they were the the Giants were in the game at that point. It was a fourteen seven game with about nine minutes left in the first half. Uh, Shepard then gets an interception uh, on on defense to try to set the Giants up for another score, and uh, they but they don't end up getting it. They they punt, and then Ashley scores to make it twenty one seven at halftime, and that was kind of all she wrote for. Uh, for yeah, and that was a fourteen point swing at that yeah. point, right? Because that would have tied it for Brady. Um, and instead, ended up having to turn it over on not not turn over on downs, but having to punt it away. You know, in, instead of uh, instead of being fourteen fourteen, it's twenty one seven. Right. So big swing, big swing on that um, on, on that particular sequence right there. You know, so you know, I keep uh, you know, last year 
uh, you know, the regular season game, Summersworth, I think, won pretty big against Newport, and then they played what was a kind of a low-scoring championship game that I, I it even, you know, despite the score, I think Summersworth was in control of for the most part. You know, you look at this year, and it kind of, I keep having to remind myself that their regular season game was only a one-point game uh, because Newport jumped out to, I, I believe, a 13 nothing lead in that game and then had to hang on as Summersworth came back and made it 13 to 12. I, I yeah. mean, this, this championship game, you know, just, you know, despite the, the previous two times they played have been kind of, you know, one team was, was clearly the more dominant team. I think this one might be a, a lot more of a toss up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they've been very similar teams all season, really. If, if I remember looking at the results, I, I, I don't have them right here in front of me, but it, look like they had very similar kind of, you know, common opponent type results and things like that too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's shaping up to be a great battle next week against two teams that obviously know each other very, very well. Well, they had sim- similar results all the way up until the last week uh, there where, where Newport had that shootout with Raymond, uh, yes. 44-40, where they gave up like triple the points they'd given up all year, or double the points. Yeah, um, we were we were perplexed by that. If yeah. I recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. Right. Uh, so yeah, really, I I'm I, I think this game is is a little bit more of a toss up than than we might uh, be used to going into it. Um, yeah. You know, and and potentially, you know, this could be I, we are at the end of the you know um, two year cycle for the NHIA, so changes will be coming soon. We don't have them yet, but at least not officially. Uh, but I, I think there's a pretty good chance that this is the last time, at least, you know, for the next two years that these teams are, are playing each other in division four. I think both might be moving up to, to division three next year. I'm not sure about that. That's not concrete or anything. Just the, the scuttlebutt, uh, yeah. you know, is that, that they might be both moving up. Yeah. Which of course brings a whole nother layer of meaning to that that rivalry yeah absolutely yeah do they they carry it on or does it get uh you know who else gets in their way maybe right yeah uh so yeah well i guess that's a good way to transition into the division three uh championship game which uh is again another another uh repeat from a year ago you've got uh trinity the number two seed taking on campbell the number one seed they got there by getting uh, Trinity got a 28 to six win over number three Interleagues Moultonboro. Campbell had a uh, 49 14 win over number four Monadnock. Um, and like I said, rematch of the 2022 title game that Campbell won last year. Also, the sixth time in the last seven years that one or both of these teams has been in the Division Three final. Yeah, very very similar to what we were talking about with. Division four with Summersworth and Newport, right? There's been, um, there's been kind of a clear cut. I, I, I don't know what you would call it, co-king, <laughs> co-king basically. <laughs> sure. Of the division, you know, and and Manadoc has certainly played into there uh, a little bit through the past four, five, six years or what have you. But it really has been Trinity and Campbell's league. The the last yeah the last two or three years well with the exception of uh, of Pelham coming down uh, correct for a cycle yeah but but even even in one of those championship games Trinity was was in there with uh, with Pelham yep yeah uh, as we said Trinity got that twenty eight six win you had Paul Tebow getting one hundred twenty five yards rushing in that one uh, Jack Service with uh, with three touchdown passes two to Devon Ellis one to 
Here we go. Anthony Giamasso. There, thank you. How about that? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then I know you've been wondering what's been going on at Campbell with uh, with Scott Hirschberger. I guess I guess we got our answer this week. I, I, yeah, I guess we did. <laughs> Two hundred twenty-four kind of... yards and five touchdowns on fifteen carries, with the cherry on the Sunday being a um, a pick on D. So, yeah, I guess I guess uh, Scott is feeling good and <laughs> ready to make a statement. Yeah, one one of four uh, one of four turnovers for Campbell. They also. Uh, Evan St. Pierre also had a fumble return for a touchdown, uh, you know, and then and then for Manadnock, Ben Dean with uh, with 45 yards and a touchdown on 17 carries and uh, had to uh, the backup QB had to come in a little bit. Caden, Caden Smith got hurt in the first half. Wesley McWork came in uh, in relief and had a, uh, a 43 yard touchdown run of his own uh, for Manadnock. Uh, good experience, yeah. I, I imagine, for uh for a guy that's probably going to be coming back next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm really interested in this game next week, right? Because interestingly enough, the names are all, you know, I was at that championship game last year, the the Campbell one that they played over in Amherst at, at Sauhegan. And not many of the names have changed. I mean, Paul Tebow was a big factor for Trinity, Jack service, has been a multi-year starter for them. I think actually one of the underrated players in the state. I, I think he's very good. Um, and Dejean Tomasio, I think was was he only a freshman last a, year? I think, yeah, I think he's a sophomore this year. Yeah, and I mean he as a freshman he had some huge plays in that uh, game against Campbell. Uh, I remember him being he may have even been their top ground gainer. You know they they were really trying to ground it out in that game, and they used. Um, they used Anthony kind of out on the edges a little bit where he was able to find something. But I remember being impressed with him and learning that he was only a freshman. And obviously on the other side for Campbell, you've got the Hirschberger brothers and that, that, that championship game was very much Scott Hirschberger's game. I mean, they must've given him 40 carries in that game and he delivered. It felt like Uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is a really, really interesting rematch i think it was it was a one score game regular season right it was uh yeah campbell won six nothing uh, right in the regular season i think on a fourth quarter touchdown too and then last year it was a two-point game you know um scott hershberger yes. had all 16 points for campbell and then made the decisive tackle on trinity's two-point conversion to right to keep campbell in front to your other point though you know talking about familiar names uh just looked up look this up real quick uh, the reason there's so many familiar names is because last year Campbell only had nine seniors. Trinity had three. Wow. So yeah, pretty much the and and you know of uh for of both sides I I don't I mean Trinity's three I'm not you know they weren't you know big name big household names. Uh, Campbell had a few more. If I uh, if I remember correctly, yeah Dom, Dom Silva was a big one for them. Um. And now I can't now where uh, Jackson Canale uh, also was a, a key senior for them a year ago. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, but still they, they, you're right. They're returning. Both teams are returning uh, quite a bit from those championship teams. And um, I got to imagine it's going to be another really close game and, uh, and a grinded out kind of uh, contest. Um, you know, over there again, they are, they're playing at Sauhegan again, one o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Yeah, but it's just, it's very much like what we were just saying with the Division Four 
championship, right? I mean, teams that are very familiar with each other, they've really been kind of at the top of the division, like you said, with the exception of before um, Pelham had had moved up. And um, I think, and I think, again, much like Division Four, this Division Three matchup, honestly, ha- has the potential of being the best game of the weekend. Um, I, I, I just think it sounds really, really interesting. And uh, I enjoyed the heck out of the game last year when I went to it. So looking for more of the same. Yeah. Um, and another, again, potentially maybe the last uh, last meeting uh, in the next cycle. Um, you know, there's, again, been some talk of, of Trinity maybe moving up to Division II. Uh, but yep. again, nothing has been confirmed or, or finalized. But so still just, a, a, I guess, speculation, if you will. Um, but yeah, there could be some changes there as well. Well, it wouldn't surprise me because, and and by the way, this is not uh, at all a, a criticism or anything. It's just a fact. It's it's it's. I think it's an interesting fact. Trinity has been in five different divisions over the last what twenty years. So maybe I mean, even they less than that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were a D one team when I when I was coaching in like the two thousand two two thousand three time frame. Then they were a division. They I know they've been in D two. They were in D3 yep. when I coached at Sauhegan, and they were in D4 and, and five, D5 yeah. at some point. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, based on their, you know, kind of the way that enrollment goes in a school like Trinity, right, they've, they've moved all over the place. And I think that's great for a team in their history and being able to play in all those different levels. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they made a move. Yeah. Well, that, that remains to be seen. Uh, but yep. the teams that we do know are in Division Two right now. Uh, they had their quarterfinals last week. Um, of course, with uh, with 17 teams in the division, um, eight teams in the playoffs. So you, you got uh, three rounds of playoffs in D2. Uh, run through the scores real quick. He had top seed Pelham getting a 49-8 win over number eight, Kennett. Uh, number two, Plymouth beating number seven, John Stark, 28-8. Number three, Sauhegan, all over. Number six, Bo, fifty-four to six, and uh, and number four, St. Thomas, uh, getting kind of a late rally there to beat number five, Sanborn, twenty-one to seven. So interestingly enough, it sets up semifinals uh, that are crossover, you know, from one conference to another. But they were also the crossover games that happened in the regular season. You've got Sauhegan going to Plymouth on Saturday. And then St. Thomas going to Pelham, uh, also on Saturday, and not just uh, I guess rematches of those games, but they flipped locations. Um, oh. You know, they the P- Plymouth and Sauhegan was played at Sauhegan the regular season, and same with Pelham. St. Thomas was played at St. Thomas uh, in the regular season. So just uh, interesting, I guess, quirk there. With, the, with yeah, that's games. a weird alignment of the stars, I sure. would say. Yeah. Um. You know, but in those uh, in those quarterfinal games, I mean, uh, we were talking about big big rushing performances there earlier with uh, with Newport, and uh, you know Pelham wasn't that far behind in that win over Kennett. The the Pythons ran for 334 yards on 25 carries, which comes out to 13.4 yards per attempt. Yeah. Uh, and leading the way on that was Connor Travis with 148 yards on eight carries and a touchdown. Yeah. Speaking of, by the way, of names that haven't changed, right? Sure. Connor Travis. <laughs> Uh, Dom, Dom Hurling, Hurling. Two, two rushing touchdowns and returned a punt 56 yards for a TD. Yep. Um, you had uh, Junior McKinnon with two rushing touchdowns for Pelham. 
Um, Nolan Monette had a 25-yard pick six. Uh, Memphis Patterson with a blocked punt. Uh, Memphis Patterson, our favorite defensive lineman in the state. Yeah, yeah. Just because his name is Memphis Patterson. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, and, and honestly, we've seen him play. He's he is one of the best. Yeah, he uh, he was all over the place um, in that regular season game against Sauhegan this year. Yeah, uh, really, just a guy you you have to game plan for, and 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 if not, he's just going to ruin your day. Yep. Uh, Kenneth's only touchdown, you know, came in the fourth quarter on a, a 20 yard pass from Keegan Jay to Tyler Walcott, uh, got, uh, got the Eagles on the board, uh, and just, uh, you know, a, a strange year for them. I got to imagine they started out the year four and oh, then they lose four in a row. They get into the playoffs with a, with a, a blowout win over Hollis Brookline. And then, the, and then they get some help from some other teams to get in. And then, uh, and then, of course, the playoff loss to Pelham, where I think Pelham was up like forty-two to nothing at halftime. Yeah, yeah, pretty decisive. Yeah. I mean, Pelham just continues to make a case for dominance. I don't know how else to put it. it <laughs> it's pretty uncanny. It reminds me a lot of some of those some of those Plymouth teams of the '90s and early 2000s that. They just they just didn't know how to lose. It wasn't in their vocabulary. Where you, yeah, where you had full classes or consecutive classes of kids who went through playing football four years without a loss. Yeah, that never never lost a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Plymouth, uh, they they're twenty in their twenty eight eight win over John Stark. Another uh, big rushing uh, mismatch, I guess. Uh, Plymouth had a three hundred and twenty three to seventeen edge in rushing yards. Uh, wow. Over Stark in this one, led by uh, Ben Valenti with 185 yards on 31 carries and two touchdowns. Uh, you also, oh, go ahead. Yo, I was going to say that 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 stat to me is staggering. Sure. Um, because we've seen Stark live. Um, they're a big physical team, and you know they're they've been able to run the ball on just about everybody they've faced this year. Um, to, to say that Plymouth held them to under 20 yards rushing uh, is absolutely unfathomable. I mean, because again, Stark is not a, a team that you would say isn't very good at running the ball. I think they're pretty good at running the football. Um, so for Plymouth's defense to be able to do that is, I mean, you, you got to take your hat off to that. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they also got uh, 73 yards and a TD from Robbie Thorne and 49 yards and a TD from uh, Tristan Patridge uh, on the you know on the ground. Uh, yeah, so w- without being unable to run the ball, um, Stark came out in the second half and started throwing it uh, with Blake Sutkis going 10 of 14 for 142 yards uh, all in that second half. Uh, Byron Parrish had four catches for 67 yards, and then. Uh, the uh, the generals got their points. They were down twenty one nothing, driving uh, to score, and then you know couldn't couldn't get it. Turn the ball over on downs inside Plymouth's ten. They end up getting a safety out of it, and then on the ensuing drive, Sutkis connects with Donnie White for a ten yard touchdown to make it twenty one to eight. But then, but I mean, there was only about two and a half minutes left, and and uh, Plymouth was able to put that one away. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was going to be a tall order for anybody to, you know, you you shared an interesting statistic with me that maybe we can save for after we talk about the, <laughs> the Sauhegan Bow game. But uh, 
there's going to be a tall order for anybody to go up there and 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 take down the bobcats it's yeah, just absolutely not something that commonly happens <laughs> it certainly does not uh yeah as you said uh Sauhegan, uh with that 54-6 win over Bo um yeah just just a game that um I mean you could tell Sauhegan set the tone early they they forced a punt uh, forced Bo to go three and out to start the game get a punt and then on the first play um you know JJ Bright goes 48 yards for a touchdown yeah um, and and just it just kind of you know continued on from there um even though Sauhegan actually had to punt on its uh on its second possession they went three and out on their second possession got the ball back and uh and was able to score um picked up the wrong notes here sorry about that give me a second there we go um yeah they're able to score bright had another touchdown run and then uh for the second week in a row he uh gets Sauhegan out of some pretty bad field position uh for his third rushing touchdown uh a 91 yard touchdown run uh to make it a 21 nothing game for the sabers um Yes, it's saying that he got them out of bad field position. <laughs> the understatement of the podcast, at least. <laughs> One run, 91 yards, and a touchdown. Got him out of bad field position there. <laughs> I mean, he had, uh, I think I tweeted this out. Uh, in the first half, he had four carries for 143 yards and three touchdowns. And the, the one carry that didn't go for a touchdown, he actually got stopped for no gain. Uh, so quite the stat line. He finished with 156 yards and three TDs. Uh, Romy Jane uh, got in on the act, rushing the ball. 43 yards, three carries, and two touchdowns. Uh, you know, they, they put in the uh, the second string, uh, you know, in the, once they got it into running time in the third quarter. And uh, Michael Fiengo had, gets in on the act as well. Four carries, 63 yards, two touchdowns for the backup QB. Uh, wow. Romy was also five of nine for 119 yards and a touchdown in the first half with the touchdown going to a 49 yard completion to Brody Smith. They actually, the, the Sauhegan first team offense, uh, ran only 18 plays in the game. Wow. Yeah. Uh, very, very efficient. Uh, you know, when they kept Bo in check, uh, pretty much all night. And, you know, that's the interesting thing about the identity of this this year's version of of uh, Coach Bawkett's Sauhegan offense, right, is, you know, that you can it's very easy to stereotype them as, as a, a spread pass happy, you know, QB centric kind of offense. But it's not really what they are this year. They, they've been very balanced. They can throw the ball. They have an excellent quarterback and a good core of receivers when that's what the defense is giving them. But they've got one of the, if not maybe the best running back in New Hampshire. Um, although I'm, I'm, you know, I think there's some guys on Pinkerton and uh, so forth that that might have a case there. But I mean, they can run the ball, and 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 really, Romy Jane has come along as a as a runner, yeah, right? He was added really, that to his game, really, right? So so he can can get it done either way. I think depending on what you know, what the game plan dictates and, and the, and the type of personnel matchups that they're seeing against the defenses that they're seeing. And, you know, you got to figure as much as um, Pelham kind of dominated that game early last year. I mean, I'm sorry, last meeting, you know, they got out to like a really quick start. It's got to be a little bit of a different game plan coming in a little bit of a different feel. If you're, if you're the Pelham 
defensive coordinator this week to say, hey, you know, what are you going to take away? You mean uh, uh, you mean Plymouth? Yeah, I'm sorry, Plymouth. Sorry, yeah. You know what? What are, what are they going to take away, right? Because right, right. the the um, you know the you, you load up on JJ Bright, and they have the ability, obviously, to kill you through the air. Or if you play back and play coverage, I mean, he's just going to rip you to death. So, um, I think I just think it's interesting what their identity has become this season. It, it's really not within again what you would stereotype them as, which is sort of a run and gun type of team. They can really pound it. And uh, I think that makes them very dangerous. Yeah, they, the last couple of weeks outside of that that Pelham game, I think they've been uh, very balanced uh, offensively. You know, putting up similar numbers in the run game as as in the pass game, and that's yeah, that that that's what you want to be doing this time of year is is just to keep other teams from loading up on on whatever you do best. Right, and it's dangerous because not only can they do both, but they're willing to do either. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right? In other words, they're not going to force, hey, you know, we're a throwing team, we're going to throw. Or hey, we're a running team, we're going to run. They're they're you know, from what I've seen, or you know, again, they kind of they kind of say, "Hey, we're we're going to take what you're going to give us and we're going to be darn good at it." <laughs> you know, right. so yeah. Yeah. Uh But and... you 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 shared something very interesting with me before we began about Oh yeah, well I was uh let's 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 go through this fourth uh quarterfinal game. Yeah, and then we'll get into the semi matchups, right? All right. I, um, yeah, the fourth quarter final, you had uh, St. Thomas getting a 21-7 win over Sanborn. Uh, Tim Avery, 98 yards and a touchdown for, for the Saints. Trent Salyard, 76 yards. And then Michael Squawarn, uh 50 yards and, and what proved to be the game-winning touchdown run, uh, you know, which was a, a, I sounded like a, a fantastic, crazy finish. Sanborn gets a, a 7-0 lead in the first half. Uh, when St. Thomas turns the ball over three times, uh, you know, Avery gets his rushing touchdown on the opening drive of the second half, a 65-yard drive uh, to tie it at seven. That's where it stands going into the fourth quarter. When Avery comes up big again, he blocks a Sanborn field goal that sets up uh, the drive, a drive that ends in Scourn's go-ahead touchdown run with 159 left. And then as Sanborn's trying to, you know, feverishly come back, uh, Declan Healy gets a 43-yard pick six to to cap that game, give the Saints a 21-7 win. Yeah, it ended up being a, a really tight game for most of the duration, and then kind of an explosion at the end to put it away. All right, so yeah, these uh, these semifinals, uh, you got Sauhegan at Plymouth, St. Thomas at Pelham. Uh, yeah, what I was trying to figure out, um, what you were you were talking about, was I was trying to figure out when was the last time that Plymouth lost a home playoff game. Uh, you know, my my experience, I, I've only you know I've been covering this since two thousand five. Um, you know, I don't rem- you know I went back just to double check. Uh, certainly not since I've been doing this um, have they lost a playoff game at home. Um, you know, I thought maybe two thousand four. Because I know uh, what it was, Sauhegan beating Milford in that Division Three final, uh, but Plymouth actually lost at Sauhegan that year. You know, I reached out to to uh, Roger Brown from the Union Leader and, and New Hampshire Football Report. He's his best guess was either in 1996 when Plymouth lost to Kingswood in the Division Three championship game that 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 game could have been at Plymouth, but if it wasn't that, his next guess was. Uh, in 1982, 
when uh let me just double check and make sure i've got this one completely right here yeah 1982 when um oh i don't have i thought i had it right in front of me here e either way plymouth uh Plymouth lost to Newport in the Division Three championship game. Uh, he thought that game might have been at Plymouth. Um, so if it's, I, I mean, it probably happened, you know, long before any of us knew any or were even around to think about New Hampshire football. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, but, but certainly if it was 96, even then, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 20, what, 27 years ago? Yeah, 27 years. Uh, I, I said to, to someone earlier today, I was like, I was a sophomore in high school that year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a long time ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the biggest threat to that record is, is this matchup. Um, you know, I, I, I think if I remember correctly, Sauhegan won the regular season matchup pretty handily. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and and did did you see that game, Joe? Yeah, I, was I don't. At, I was at that game. It was uh, one of the more unexpected results I think I've ever seen in a football game. I expected that game to be down to the wire. Uh, if you remember, it was that week, that Friday night, where it just completely poured from start to finish. Yes. Uh, I was even with all my rain gear on. I was soaked afterwards. Um, you know, Sauhegan won 49 to six somehow was able to throw the ball around in the rain, um, which I think maybe caught Plymouth off guard a little bit. Uh, and, and just, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine that it's going to be that same type of game going up there. Coach uh, Bocquette probably practiced all week with footballs that <laughs> he was soaking in the Gatorade jug. <laughs> well, I, I think too, like the forecast for that for that Friday hadn't looked bad up until about Thursday. Yeah. Um, so you couldn't even really prep. Right. Right. Um, but I I can't yeah I can't see, you know I'm certainly not I I, I can see Sauhegan going up there and, and and winning the game, but I certainly can't see them going up there and and beating Plymouth in that fashion in a playoff game. Especially not in the land of Lenahan. Sure. And, um, you know, and the other thing too is you know psychologically i would say hey if you get beaten like that in the regular season you know there's some there's a little bit of a hangover there in terms of your your own confidence but not plymouth not not with the amount of pride um and history and and and, and all those type of factors right tradition that goes with you um my guess is that they'll be very well motivated to make this a much better game this time so yeah 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 and then the other you know the other matchup their regular season game was almost as weird. Uh, you know, it, it, it goes down in the books as a 14 to nothing win for Pelham. Uh, but that, that game, if you remember, was the night that all those thunderstorms came through the state. Oh yeah. And pushed games around. And that game, I want to say was called like, it wasn't even halftime yet. And the coaches agreed to just call the game, uh, you know, late in the second quarter with Pelham up uh, just 14 points. Right. So yeah, that game keeps messing with me because I go looking at the results <laughs> and it looks like it was like, you know, the only close game that Pelham had all year. And then, and then, you know, I have to remind myself, oh yeah, that's that one that got cut short because of weather and things. Right. Yeah. It was just a half. Right. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, I mean, I, I, 
I obviously I would favor Pelham in this game. Um, how do you not? Right. But I I almost I also don't really know entirely what to expect. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the only matchup where the teams aren't as familiar with each other because they didn't have that full game to, against each other. Right. right. So um, kind of a kind of an interesting storyline there. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a there's a clear underdog there in St. Thomas. I think, I, you know, just about anybody at this point would have to be a, an underdog to 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 Pelham. Sure. But uh, it does it does make for a, not a clear cut situation. And I think that makes it intriguing. So, uh, so both those semifinal games are are as of right now scheduled for a uh, one o'clock kickoff on Saturday uh, in Pelham and at Plymouth, uh, and then uh, and then we've got uh, Division One that um, kind of held true to uh, to form. I think we kind of I, I don't know. I think just you and I talking um, aside from this kind of felt like this might be the case is that the chalk would uh would hold out uh for the early round you know that maybe there might be a you know um a lower seed that could could come close certainly you know you look at the the bg dover game and the salem spalding game and those were pretty high scoring um you know don't count either team out just yet kind of games um but you know then you also had londonderry and exeter taking care of business Yes. Yeah. The, the, there, there weren't any surprises this year. I think like there were last year, there were some right. good games. Right. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, any, any sort of, uh, you know, Hey, are we going to get slapped in the face with, a with an upstart, um, you know, one of the lower seeds kind of really making a run. Um, it, it looks like, you know, everybody that quote unquote should have won, uh, got, got their, their work done this week. Right. Yeah, starting with with Londonderry, you know that was uh, I went over to that game uh, against Wyndham. It was a forty six nothing win for Londonderry. You know I, I was intrigued by that one just because they played a seven point game in in the regular season. Londonderry won twenty one fourteen, but again it was on the same night as that Sauhegan Plymouth game. Uh, you know and and can you know Londonderry I think had a couple fumbles early in that game that kind of took them off track, let Wyndham hang around. I think it was a 14-14 game at halftime. Uh, this time around, Londonderry wasted no time. I think they scored on their first four possessions, just went up, you know, up and down the field. And they did it, you know, with, with guys that, um, you know, they're, they're a team that doesn't have a ton of experience uh, in these big situations except for a couple of guys, and those are the guys they leaned on. You, you know, um, Ty Miles up front um, with Jake Shenna running behind him. Uh, yeah. You know, two guys who played in championship game as sophomores. I mean, Shenna had 89 yards on nine carries and two touchdowns, uh, you know, and for a team that likes to spread the ball around that, that's a, that's a kind of a big workload. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause they, they definitely use multiple, multiple people in that scheme. So you don't, you don't get the big stats coming out of that program as much. Four, four quarterbacks getting, uh, getting action. And, and if you count the kneel downs, uh, it was actually five quarterbacks that got, that took a snap in that game for, for Londonderry. Um, you know, Sam Ogden had probably the, um, you know, the other, I, I guess, I don't want to say most success, but put up the, the number, uh, I guess, the numbers is what I'm I'm getting at. 
70 yep. yards rushing and a touchdown on eight carries and then also had a touchdown pass to uh to Mason Paquette um you know that that uh I think that one got the game into running time or was close to running time at that point um you know and it just I I don't it, it's London Dairy just seems like it, it's such a tough offense to defend in part because you know they play all these guys but none of them are I shouldn't say or trying to think the best way to phrase this they're all have similar games they're not the same player but they're similar abilities that you don't know what's you know it's not like they put one guy in and it's like okay now they're going to just throw the ball or they put another right. guy in and they're oh they're just going to run the ball they do a right. little bit of both with everybody yeah it's very difficult to key on that in terms of like personnel changes and stuff like okay this is this is the hard yardage guy or package or whatever right and it, you're right it does make it difficult yeah. because not only are they diverse in that way but they stay fresh in that way right. you know instead of your your 20 to 30 carry type guy you might get seven or eight carries um and and think about the fresh legs that come into play especially this time of year um, that's huge. You know, you're not beaten down. You're not tired. You're not banged up. I mean, everybody is at this time of year, but <laughs> certainly not like some of these guys that have been carrying the mail for their teams um, all season. So that's, that is a big advantage this time of year. Whereas, you know, Wyndham, I think has a lot of weapons, but their ground game goes through Tiger Ann. And London and, and was able to big hits as Tiger Ann taken this year, you know, yeah. 15 to 25 carries a game. Um, and rightfully so he's a good player, but. And they, um, they it's, it's um, different look this time of year. They really shut him down. I mean, he had nine carries for 17 yards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's that Londonderry defensive front we've been talking about since I saw them week one against Concord. They're just very physical, big and fast. Five guys across the board that can get the job done. Very good. Yeah. So they will be playing, uh, Number five Exeter that got a thirty-one to thirteen win over number twelve Keene. Uh, again, another uh, another QB change. Uh, although this one was uh, was due to an illness. Jack Bow, the the regular starter for Exeter, was out. Mike Karen had to step up, make his first varsity start at quarterback. Uh, he got a lot of help though. Uh, Sam Delello with three rushing touchdowns, all in the second quarter. Uh, Daniel Batstone also had a rushing TD, and then. Uh, Dylan Drunzik with a 27-yard field goal late in the game to, to kind of cap the scoring for Exeter, who was actually down 6 nothing early after uh, Davis Glodgett hit two uh, hit field goals of 46 and 36 yards in the first quarter for Keene. So Keene had the early lead there. Yeah. Um, and, just, and then Exeter did Exeter things. Um, Aiden Ionu had the lone touchdown for, for Keene on the last play of the game. And then uh, Wyatt Avery had a, a big game for the Blackbirds, 118 yards on 21 carries, giving him almost 1,300 yards for the season. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. You don't get those kind of rushing yards too much, you know, in this era, I don't think, right? Because like you said, with Londonderry, for example, right, teams tend to rely on multiple backs a little bit more, tend to rely on the passing game a little bit more. You don't see as many thousand eleven hundred you know twelve hundred yard rushers as you might have ten years ago not at least not in division one no right and uh, right so so these two teams did meet it's funny after after uh 
an opening round, a preliminary round in Division One, where only one of the matchups uh, was a rematch. We, I think we've got what? Well, I guess we only have two this time around, uh, but two out of four is half, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wasn't very good at math, but <laughs> if you gave me a few minutes, I would have figured that okay. out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but this was a game um, Exeter and Londonderry did play in the regular season uh, a little bit less than a month ago, um, and Londonderry gave Exeter a, a thirty-five nothing defeat on uh, uh, you know in in Londonderry. Um, so you know, certainly uh, if Exeter's going to flip that, a lot of work to do. Um, you know, going into that one. Yeah. Exeter Exeter has struggled this year against those physical big defensive fronts, Londonderry mm-hmm. uh, and Portsmouth Oyster sure. River come to mind, where just that the front seven is big, fast, and aggressive. Um, it's it's been harder for Exeter to handle those fronts this year than maybe it has been in the past. So, um, but again, Exeter is extremely consistent, unbelievably well coached incredibly disciplined and and plays really good complementary football offense defense and specials um so that's the advantage that exeter has i think going in is that it is playoff time now and those things matter big time um londonderry coming in with a ton of momentum but exeter that's a pretty you know i expected exeter to 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 win that game i didn't think that the spread would be that right yeah. That lock. Yeah. Uh, you know, both very similar style teams. I've seen Keene a couple times this year. They're pretty physical. They can get the job done when they need to. I thought that would be a closer game. So Exeter is coming in with some momentum too, having beaten uh, a pretty good Keene team. So I like that matchup. Uh yeah, it's uh it, it I, I think it I mean, as we were saying with with Sauhegan and Plymouth, I think this would be a closer game. Uh, I would favor London Dairy of uh, a little bit, but I think it'll be a closer game this time around. Uh, yeah, that one is uh, scheduled for a one o'clock kickoff in Londonderry on Saturday. Uh, other quarterfinals, you had uh, number six Salem getting a fifty-five to thirty-four win over number eleven Spalding. Uh, Nolan Lumley with three touchdown passes in that one. Kevin Tedesco, two hundred and fourteen total yards, one hundred eighteen receiving, seventy-one rushing, twenty-five on kick returns, four total touchdowns. And then uh, a big game from a freshman for Salem, Colin Salkovitz, with 100, 199 yards and two touchdowns on just seven carries. I haven't heard his name this year. I same uh, uh, as as well. You know what? I should have um, checked my Salem roster. I, I I mean, I'm sure he he played in uh, one of the games that I was at this year, but I don't have the roster right in front of me at this second. So uh, yeah, I, I I I'm very much remember numbers more than I do names. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty striking yeah. stat line for a freshman back in a playoff uh, on seven game. carries. Yeah. In a playoff 199 yards on seven carries. That sounds like JJ bright. <laughs> yeah. He's uh where's number nine. I do remember there being a number nine out there. I just don't, I mean, he, he Got him, must have got himself uh, more in the mix getting carries uh, since the last time I saw Salem in person. Uh, but you know, and then Hunter Truman for Spalding, uh, four touchdowns, two rushing, two receiving. You know, that game, it looked like Salem was in control um, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and, you know, Spalding kept it interesting. And, and you know, uh, uh, 
certainly not the outcome they wanted, but they had a, a fantastic finish to the season, starting out 0-4, winning five in a row to get in the playoffs. Uh, so something that uh, the, the Raiders can certainly build off of. Oh, absolutely. And then and, and on the other side of the coin, if you're looking at Salem, you know, the difference really, when, you, when it comes down to speaking of math, right, the, the difference really was those three Nolan Lumley touchdown passes, um, w- which, is, which is really not Salem's identity. Again, right, right, kind of talking about how teams have gotten their work done. Now, I've seen Lumley play a couple times this year, whether it was watching the streaming stuff or in highlight clips um, or, or what have you. I think he's a pretty good quarterback, but they 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 haven't really haven't really uncorked him as far as using him as a as a primary weapon. Um, so again, three touchdown passes that's got to be scary if you're headed into a matchup with Salem this weekend. Which is what is the case for number three Bedford. Uh, they had a bye, of course, into the quarterfinals, and they will host Salem. Uh, you know, in the next round, that game is a uh, five o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Uh, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, so if you want to, you're you're headed to another game early at one o'clock. You got uh, an opportunity to pop in over at Bedford and see a second game on Saturday, which I'm hoping to do myself after I uh, make the way back down from Plymouth. Yeah, and like I said, Bedford obviously uh, a superior uh, team in Division One, right? I mean, you don't earn the buy. Uh, defending champions, obviously, but I th- I think they're going to have their hands full with Salem's offense. The, the question will be, you know, again, looking at this result, um, you know, can Salem's defense keep up with Danny Black and um, some of that crew that he has over there that have been just lighting up the scoreboard all year? Right. Yeah, yeah. In the uh, the seven ten matchup, uh, you had Nashua North getting a twenty seven to fourteen win over Alvern. Uh, you know, North's defense came to play, which you kind of you know you thought was going to be the case going in. They held Alvern to just seventy nine yards on the ground, forced five turnovers. Uh, Dylan yeah. Noble had three interceptions. Uh, Kobe Perry with another, and Melvin Fernandez with a fumble recovery. Uh, and then uh, Steven Rosario with a big game on offense, 82 yards rushing and three touchdowns uh, for the Titans. Yeah, Rosario's a great player. I think one of us had picked him, it might have been me, for a player of the week a couple weeks ago. Right, yeah. Uh, and just, that's again, that's kind of a, that workman-like stat, right? 20 carries, 80-something yards. But, um, you know, <laughs> you 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 can't win a football game with – what did you say it was? Five turnovers, five, five turnovers, three picks, yeah. and and two fumbles. Four picks and a fumble. Yeah, I mean that's uh that's a huge credit to the North defense, and uh, you know a little bit interesting when you're thinking about this coming matchup, especially with the way that, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this game because we both saw this game, but the way that Bishop Girton primarily chooses to to move the football, um, you know, there's an exposure there if North is really feeling it in their defensive backfield and they're able to kind of make those reads and get, get picks, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be a little bit of an interesting story. If you're a team like Bishop Girton, that's really pretty pass heavy. Right. Uh, I want to mention for Alvern too, uh, Sean Boudreau, uh, 12 of 27 passing for 143 yards and two touchdowns. Of course, also the four picks, you know, uh, he came in, um, I forget the name of their starter off the top of my head, but he was hurt. Uh, in that first game of the year, and and Boudreau had to come in and and take over as quarterback the rest of the way, uh, you know. So so great job by him, um, you know, helping to lead Alvern back into the playoffs. 
And then uh, Yonovan Santana with uh, six catches for 106 yards and, and both of those touchdown receptions uh, yeah. for, for all of Alvern's uh, points there. So just a, yeah, you know, a, a great job um, for the Broncos this year. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it's important to note with Boudreaux. I mean, it's it's too easy to focus on those four interceptions. You know, the reality of it is if you're if you're being held to under 80 yards rushing on the game, um, that makes the quarterback's job a lot harder, too, because now the defense knows you've got to pass. You're 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 not only are you not able to run the ball, but you're playing from behind. Um, yeah, you can sit back there and 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 pray on it a little bit. Right. So it, it, it does make that that stat line you know, if, if you don't really understand what happened there, it's, 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 you, you can't fully blame the quarterback in that situation because really, you know, the inability to run the ball contributes to that quite right. greatly level. Right. Absolutely. So North, uh, North moves on to face uh, number two seed Portsmouth Oyster River on uh, actually that's game's been moved to Friday night. It'll be a six o'clock kickoff uh, at Portsmouth. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm 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 interested to see how that one goes because it kind of North has been a very good defensive team um, all year, uh, but can they slow Portsmouth down enough and and can they do enough offensively uh, against Portsmouth's defense? Those are the I guess the two questions. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you mentioned that when we were talking before we we went on together tonight live and. Um, you you made a good analogy, which was to the the earlier in the season matchup between Portsmouth and Merrimack. Right. Yeah, against Merrimack. Yeah, yeah, and it was like the same kind of formula, right? The the Merrimack defense play, showed up, played very well in that game, but the offense just couldn't couldn't find a way to consistently move the ball and get points on the board. You know, Merrimack, I, I think, um, left a couple of field goals. Uh, on the field, one was blocked, one was one was just wide left or something like that. And again, I, I think it's very similar matchup north in Portsmouth Oyster River. Um, so it does make you wonder, is that going to be a, a, a closer kind of nail-biter type game like the game against Merrimack was? Or uh, has Portsmouth got a few things figured out? We shall see. They, they had a, of course, had a bye to, to work on that and, and try to get that right. Yep. Uh, so and then that leaves us with uh with one quarterfinal game left. Um and this one I I wasn't sure at times if it was ever going to end. Uh Yeah. <laughs> a lot of points put up on the board in in BG's uh 56 to 42 win against Dover. Uh I really thought we were going to get to 100 uh and in, in that game especially with you know the last touchdown being scored with about seven and a half minutes left. Um, I thought for sure we were we were destined for another score, but but uh, just the, quite the, the tremendous offensive showing for both teams. Um, BG quarterback Mike McDonough, 21 of 33, 355 yards, four touchdowns in the air, another 44 yards rushing in two touchdowns. Uh, you know he threw two touchdowns to Cody Shemansky, who had 10 catches for 199 yards. The other two touchdowns go to Ronan Balistrieri who had three catches for 99 yards, also had a one of uh, three interceptions for the Cardinals to, to end the game pretty much uh, on Dover's last possession. You know, um, you had A.J. Holmes rushing for 64 yards and a touchdown, also had a pick six, uh, returned um, uh, an interception on Dover's second possession, 50 yards for a touchdown. 
Um, you know, and, and probably, you know what, I got to get, uh, pull the rosters up here, but probably the most amazing stat from this game. I mean, there were a lot of amazing stats. Um, but the thing that, that I could not believe I saw happening right in front of my face was that the kickers for both teams made every single extra point. Yeah. We're talking 14 touchdowns. Yep. And they went 14 of 14 on, on extra points. You know, for BG, that's uh, Connor Lennon, uh, who handles the kicking. And then for uh, for Dover, it's Tucker Johnson, who, who was doing the kicking there. Uh, just, I, I like, it, at one point, I'm like, I hope it doesn't come down to this. Like, one of these kids misses one, and then yeah. that, that ends up being the difference in the game. Uh, you know, I, I guess, thankfully, it wasn't, but... Um, you know, and then you look on the other side at Dover, uh, you know, Ryder Aubin, uh, a tremendous game for him, 16 to 35, 215 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions as well. But he also had another 99 yards rushing and three touchdowns on the ground to lead uh, Dover. Uh, one of his passing TDs goes to Brady McInnes, who had four catches, 51 yards and a score, also returned a kickoff 91 yards for a touchdown. Yeah, and then that was a great run, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, I saw that. I was standing behind it uh, as it was happening, and he made, like, went into the middle, made one cut, and I was like, "Oh, he is gone!" And yeah, yeah he, he found was. like a little crease, and he hit it with everything he had, and yeah. you knew as soon as he got into it, he was gone, just because of the way the angles were going to shape up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that was a huge return because it tied the game at twenty-one with with two and a half minutes left. Yes. In the first half. Um, and then Benjamin Allen also with four catches, 75 yards and a touchdown uh, yeah. over. But yeah, there there were two. Um, well, that that stretch there, the end of the half was was really, uh, you know, I, can't, I thought that was a big turning point because you had you had Beachy score with 247 left to go up 21 14. Um, Dover gets out of that 14 nothing hole that they they climbed into the kickoff return for a touchdown ties the game. With 2.34 left in the half, BG comes back, scores to make it 28-21 with 37.7 left. And it's funny, I turned to someone on the sideline and I said, they left Dover too much time. Yeah. Uh, uh, 37 seconds, sure enough, Dover drives down, gets to, I, I think it was like the 23 of BG. And uh, with two seconds left, BG takes a timeout to try to set up its defense. Dover comes out. In, you know, looking like it's going to attempt a field, a 40-yard field goal. Instead, it's a fake, and Auburn um, throws to the end zone, but it gets picked off by Sam Franco to end the half. And that, right. that there I thought was huge because if Dover scores there and ties the game, or even if they kick the field goal and make it, you know, it's then 28-24. Sure, BG's getting the ball to start the half, but it's, a it's you know, a, a one-possession game. Instead, it's 28-21. BG opens the half. Um, I believe that was with, um, yeah, the, yeah, McDonough to, to Balistrieri for a 66-yard touchdown to make it 35-21. And then Dover's, again, chasing two scores the rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That was a big, that was a big play when you look at it that way. I didn't realize it at the time, but. You know, I, I had the couple takeaways that I had from that game were, were certainly there was a lot of offense and you could look at that in, you know, the flip side of that would naturally be, oh, well, there wasn't a lot of defense. 
But honestly, I, I don't know that I would 100% agree with that because I think if you go and look at a lot of the that game, special teams played a lot of factor into that game, as did penalties, with starting field position for both right, offenses. Yeah, like, yeah. There were a lot of times it felt like the offenses were taking over uh, their drives like on the minus 40. And, you know, so, I mean, when you're talking about these offenses are already very explosive and very good, both led by really good quarterbacks. Um, but when you're when you're starting your drive with you've only got to go 60 yards, um, you know, I, I think I think there was a there was a big element of special teams that factored into that in terms of the the kick return games, punt return games for those teams. And I, if I remember correctly, there were also some some like sort of special teams penalty type things that. I think set up that field position. So the offenses were also working with short fields is what I'm right. saying. Oh and yeah. Lots it wasn't. Of, oh, lots they, of penalties. They yeah. Like they don't play defense. I, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I think that you had two really good offenses that were given outstanding field position to start a lot of those yeah. drives. And so you ended up with, um, you ended up with the scores that you see, because I was pretty impressed with both teams. Um, defensively again it sounds weird with the game that the, the score that we saw and i was really impressed with the offensive line from dover um i thought that they played really really well um and and then the other thing that really the other observation was that bishop girton through most of the first half just seemed utterly disinterested in running the football <laughs> i i mean that first drive i don't i think they maybe attempted one rush I, I don't that think was, yeah, did. that was the touchdown. It was a touchdown run on the first drive. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, and everything else was just intermediate passing and, and very, you know, very effective at it. Well, not just um, that, but they were they were only. Um, what is this? Two of two of five, two of six, excuse me, on that first drive passing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they just like you said, you're, you're right, though. They took over at, at Dover's 47 to start the, the, that drive hit two big passes and then the touchdown run of 16 yards for McDonough. Right. Um, but you mentioned penalties too. Yeah. I think, I feel like that's worth mentioning. I, I had BG nine penalties for 76 yards and then Dover eight for 70. Yeah. Um, it so, seemed like the flags were out. Yeah. A lot. In that oh, I'm sorry. Game, you know what? I think I, I think I actually have that backwards. I take that back. Yeah. Eight for 70 for BG nine for 76 for Dover. Yeah. All right, well, so the Cardinals move on now to face uh, number one seed Pinkerton uh, in the quarterfinals. That was also a 6 o'clock start on Friday in Derry. And uh, the second time this year that those teams uh, will be playing each other. Um, they played in early October with Pinkerton getting a 56-17 to win uh, over Bishop Girton. So certainly a... Uh, Big hill to climb uh, for the Cardinals to try to uh, pull off, to, to shock the world and pull off an upset. Yeah, I, I, I think on paper it does look that way. Although, you know, again, it's obvious that BG has a very talented offense. Um, and, and and I've seen Pinkerton as, men, as many times as I've seen any team this year. Um, and they're obviously very, very solid. But I, I, I wouldn't expect it to be that type of game again. Um, you know, BG has spent uh, the season adapting to a new head coach, a new offense, a new defense. But by now, they're all veterans in that system. They're in, they're obviously into a rhythm. Um, you know, they've they've sort of built up what their their identity, their trust in each other, their roles are. So, 
I, I do think that, uh, although again, it's, it's, it's kind of clear that Pinkerton would be the natural favorite there. Um, I wouldn't count BG out. They've, they've shown themselves to be explosive. And uh, I think that's a big factor in, in, in November football at this point. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I don't know. I think that'll, uh, I don't, does that do it for, for this week? I don't know. Any, any other thoughts that on anything we didn't get to? I feel like we, if we Ooh, didn't get to no, something. No, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. I know. If we didn't get to something, then, uh, yeah. I, I don't know how we couldn't have. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. No, it... actually, I take that back. There is one more thing that we wanted to mention before we go. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, um, of course, uh, at the end of the year, uh, we'll, we'll have, there will be the annual, uh, Chad, uh, all-star game, uh, put on by the children's hospital at Dartmouth. Uh, and they sent out a press release, uh, Monday evening, uh, announcing the coaches for, for the two teams this year. Uh, so we figured we'd share that with you, uh, for team East, you've got, uh, Dover coach, Eric Kumba who's going to be leading that that team for the first time. Uh, so that's pretty exciting for him to see a, a you know a new face there too on the sidelines. And then yep. uh, Team West will be led by uh, Milford coach Keith, coach Keith Jones. I believe his third time as the head coach uh, of Team West, uh, of course, was the head coach there in the, the very first game, first Chad yep. game. Yes, he uh, was. Leading his guys to a victory there. So those are your... Uh, your two coaches for the Chad All-Star game. Um, you know, I, I don't know the dates exactly, but I got to imagine they'll be taking, you know, nominations once the season is done. And uh, usually I think they have those teams picked, what, by, you know, early in the next year, uh, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I think they, they generally kind of in the, like, really late winter to early spring, they've kind of, you know, taking a look at all the film and, and the submissions and stuff and made their decisions. Uh, I'm not sure when they announce it, but I think that's usually when they make their picks. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's great too. I mean, congratulations to both really good coaches. I don't know coach Kumba too well. Uh, I, you know, I think we played them once while I was at Sauhegan and, uh, and, and they were a really good program when, when he, when was, he at was at St. Thomas. Yeah. 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 And so a lot of respect for him. Uh, and obviously coach Jones, um, saw a ton when we were over at Sauhegan and, and before that. And, um, you know, he's been in the, he's been in the game for a long time and, um, has, has built a really solid program over there at Milford. So, and obviously has the personal connection with the, with the chat organization as well. So, um, I, I, I think those are two really good choices for this year's, this year's Chad, uh, event. Can you believe that this will be the 12th game in this series? No, it seems like just yesterday. It does, yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I remember going over there. I think it was at uh, UNH. The first game, yeah, first couple of games were UNH, yeah. Yeah, I remember going over there for that first game because we had a, a couple few kids from Hollis Brookline that, that were on that team, and uh, I, I think it's a great event. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. All right, now we have gotten to everything. So yeah, it's about time to wrap up. <laughs> I think so too. I'm tired, man. We, we, we let it all, we, we left it all out on the yeah, airwaves, a marathon <laughs> here, a marathon episode here. So hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully you enjoy it and, uh, appreciate everybody checking in and listening. Mike, thanks to you for doing this as always. Um, yep. I enjoyed it as yeah. always. Look forward to next week when we got some more playoff games to talk about and, uh, we will talk to everybody then. He is Mike Lockman. 
I'm Joe Marcellina. Enjoy the playoff games this weekend. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you later.